All right, good morning. Kids, you are dismissed. You can go with Pastor Jeremiah. He is leading the way. And Miss Julie. If you're not comfortable with Pastor Jeremiah yet, we're just warming up to him. Miss Julie's still in the mix, just so you know. No, that guy's money. We love that guy. He's not liking my joke right now. He's just, he's just ignoring me. Thank you, Jeremiah. That's good stuff. Hey, great to see you today. My name is Dave. If you're new with us, I'm one of the pastors around here at Cedar Mill. Um, we are continuing in a series that we're doing this summer called Rest, um, hoping to really explore the deep rest that God offers us as his children. And in the, our first week, we talked a little bit about what Jesus had to say, how Jesus invites us to not just have a superficial external rest, but a deep soul rest when we come to him and we experience his love, his goodness, his kindness, his yoke, his, his lordship in our lives, really. And then last week, Pastor Ashley gave us some practical ways to pursue rest as we, as we talked about the story of Elijah um, and how we can walk in rest and experience rest um, as God's people the way Elijah did. This week, as I thought about what would I preach on for week three, because honestly, this series for me hasn't been like it was all mapped out four months ago. I was deciding early this week, like, what should I say this week? Um, which is kind of fun sometimes. Just, God, what are you saying? I feel like the Lord was saying, okay, what gets in the way? What is it that prevents you, Dave, from experiencing the peace and joy and confidence that I long for you to have? And I was thinking about it and praying, and I had a lot of different ideas, but where I ultimately landed, what I felt like God was saying to me is worry. It's not what I expected to land. It's not what I sort of thought I would be talking about today. And yet, and yet, I believe one of, if not the primary enemy of rest in our lives is worry. Because we think about rest and we think about like, how can I get all the external things in just the right place so that I can be rested? And yet God comes to us and says, no matter what's happening out here, I have a deep rest for your soul inside of you. And so the enemy knows that that's where rest lives. So the enemy tries to get into our minds and our hearts to disrupt our rest through worry. So today... We're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about worry in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's no coincidence that today's message is straight out of a section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a collection of teachings that Jesus offers. Um, it's kind of packaged together in the Gospel of Matthew as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you know about the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with Jesus talking about being blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed, and some of you are thinking like, that's not how it goes, it's blessed. And it's like, no, that's actually just blessed. It's just the word blessed. We say blessed, it sounds more churchy, but just blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For blessed, 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 over and over again, right? And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes when we talk about Jesus teaching on worry, we get this idea that Jesus is saying, don't you worry. Don't you be a worrier. If you are one of my kids, then you shouldn't worry. And it's kind of like this, this rebuke. Like he's reprimanding those of us who have a propensity to worry. But that is not Jesus' heart in this passage at all. 
Jesus, in this sermon, is talking about how to live a blessed life in the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of the king. And the reason Jesus brings up worry is because he knows that worry is one of the main things that will come in and try to rob you of the blessed life that God wants you to have. And so in this message, Jesus is saying, I don't want that to happen. I do not want worry to rob you of your rest. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Just let this passage wash over you this morning. These are red letter words, words right out of the mouth of Jesus himself. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, we're gonna explore this passage today and as we do, I wanna talk about it by using three words that start with the letter P. We're leaning into alliteration this morning. Three P words that will prevent worry from stealing your rest. Three P words. Here we go. Here's the first one. Ready? Purpose. If you're a note taker, you can just, now you're just like, oh, I love this alliteration thing. Purpose. Jesus starts off this section by reminding us that our ultimate purpose can sometimes get out of whack, that we can get distracted, that our vision for life, yours and mine, is always tempted to be too small. Listen to how the New American Standard translates verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As to what you should eat, what you should drink, your body, what you should put on. And here's the reason, ready? For this reason, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Is life not more than what you're making it, than what you're focused on? You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the purpose, purpose of this life is so much bigger and greater and deeper and more significant than just the physical world around you. The purpose of this life is more than just our everyday needs and desires and concerns. He's not saying those things aren't important. He's just saying there's something more. People, we are so tempted to worry about the things in our world. In Jesus' day, it was food and clothing. They just had to fight for it every day. 
In our world, most of us, we've got some clothes, right? We got a fridge full of food. We got a pantry that's pretty well stocked. We're not worried about those things. But are there things in our daily life that we are tempted to worry about? Is there anything to worry about in our world today? You're like, not, not really. Yeah, of course there is. There's like a war in Europe and inflation. And if you've seen gas prices lately, we won't even go there. The stock market, ugh. Amy was just telling me the other day about the new COVID variant. I did not want to hear it. She shared about it anyway. Stressful. And then you kind of get beyond like the, you know, the internet and the news broadcast worries and you get down to just your own personal life worries, your kids, your marriage, your job, your finances, your friends, your aging parents, your dating life or lack thereof, your health, right? I mean, there's so much to worry about. Jesus says, these things will always be there. But isn't life more? Isn't your life about more than just making sure that all that stuff is going well? Friends, most people, some of you will relate to this, most people have made the managing of their world's circumstances the primary purpose of their life. Most people in our world have very unconsciously adopted as the primary purpose of their life, making sure that nothing is going bad and everything is going well for myself, my kids, my spouse, my friends. I'm just in the like circumstances management business. Here's another way of saying that. The primary purpose of my life is the pursuit of happiness. Now, it's not your fault you think that. You've been told this your whole life, right? This is what life's about, the pursuit of happiness. I just want happiness. I just, I'm just pursuing happiness. I just want the people I love and care about to be happy. That is what everything is about for me. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Happiness is not a bad thing. It's just not the ultimate thing, And when we make happiness the primary purpose of our lives, it inevitably creates worry. Like you've decided this is the goal of my life and that goal will force you to worry because here's the truth. If happiness is the goal, then anything that can get in the way of your happiness is something to worry about. See, if happiness is the goal then all the hard stuff in life is just an obstacle. All the difficult struggles and trials and especially tragedies are only things that will keep you and those you love from ultimately experiencing happiness. And so I worry. I worry about what could happen to wreck my happiness. What if this happens? What if that happens? What could go wrong next? What if something gets in the way? And Jesus says, Hold up, isn't life more? Isn't there a bigger, grander, better purpose to life than just things in your physical, temporal world being just so? Friends, the Bible says yes. The Bible says there is a bigger purpose for your life, a soul-level purpose, a purpose that goes beyond this world. The Bible says the goal of your life is not just happiness, it's holiness, It's you learning to know God and trust him in a way that transforms you into becoming the person God longs for you to be. And you see, that shift, that purpose changes everything. You see, 
Now, if that really is the purpose of your life, to know God more, to trust him more, now you don't need to worry about difficulty or tragedy or struggle because those are all just things that will help you accomplish your goal, help you trust God, help you become like Jesus. It's no accident, you see, that that's the mission statement of our church, right? Becoming like Jesus. That's, that's important. It's not just the mission statement of our church. That's us as a family of believers saying, this is the mission statement for our lives. Not just when you're here, not just when you're like sitting in the pew on Sunday, but our whole lives. What's my goal? I'm trying to become like Jesus and make him known. You see, and now God will use all these things that I'm tempted to worry about to help me. Can you imagine if the mission statement of our church was like, Cedar Mill Bible Church, helping you be a happy person. <laughs> like that would change a lot of the stuff we do around here, right? Like Kevin would be talking about giving. He'd be like, keep your money, go to Disneyland, right? No sacrifice needed. Cedar Mill Bible Church, a life where no sacrifice, giving, struggle, or difficulty is required. Let's put that on the wall out front. My sermons will really shift, right? That's not. The point, right, because we have this purpose from God, and when we adopt God's purpose, it frees us from worry. That's the first P. Here's the second P. Providence. Now I'm getting big words. Providence. I'll define it this way. The planned and purposeful provision of God. I'm really into P's today. Providence, the planned and purposeful provision of God. There's this researcher from Harvard who a number of years back, his name is Ed Hollowell, and he came up with an equation for worry. A sociologist, and he just studied worry in our, in our culture and in our people. And he said, you can ultimately boil worry down to two variables. This is secular research. Vulnerability and power. In your life, Ed says, that when vulnerability is high, when you feel like things are going wrong or, or things could easily go wrong, and when power is low, when you don't feel like you can affect what's going on, you can't affect what's happening and you don't have control, so when vulnerability is high and power is low, that is the recipe for worry. This is the equation right here. Vulnerability minus power equals worry. I did this for all you Intel folks. Just boiling my sermons down to equations now. And some of you are out there, like you're testing the, you're like, you're testing, you're using the scientific method, you're plugging numbers in. Do I agree with this theory, right? Let me do it for you. Let's, let's use a scale of one to 100. Let's say I feel really, really vulnerable. Just let's pretend like maybe I wake up in the morning and there's water running through my entire house down the walls, into my lower level, down into my crawl space. It's like everywhere. I don't know where it's coming from. Let's just pretend like that maybe happened to me. Um, in this moment, I feel vulnerable. I feel like things are not going well. That's a high, high number. Let's just say my vulnerability in this moment is 96. And let's also say in this moment that I don't feel a lot of ability to handle the situation. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. This is how you feel when your wife wakes you up at 6.45 saying, honey, there's water. <laughs> High vulnerability, low power, right? Let's just say in this moment, we'll say, you know, my power is 13. So I have a pretty high worry score. There's a lot to worry about here. 
There's a lot of things going wrong. So my worry is high. Well, let's take another situation, just to kind of a couple things. Public speaking. That's a pretty worrisome activity for most of you, right? Is anyone here willing to do the rest of the sermon today? Just come on up. Actually, a couple of you would probably do it, which is really scary. I would not take you up on it. Uh, but yeah, most people are worried about public speaking. When I public speak, I'm worried every Sunday. You don't, I mean, I, know, I fake it to make it, but I'm nervous. I'll just put my vulnerability at 67. I feel vulnerable, right? People are going to send emails later. I may or may not read them, right? But I am vulnerable. Uh, but I also, I also have, have public spoken enough. Public spoken, me speak. Uh, uh, uh. That was an ill time to misspeak right there. <laughs> I've done this enough that I do feel equipped. Like I have some control. I have some power, right? So my power in this moment is high. So let's say like my vulnerability is 67. This gives me like, a, I'm not, am I worried today? No, I'm negative 17. I'm negative 17 on the worry scale. Even though I feel vulnerable, a lot of power, good worry score. Now, because of this equation, because I think this is true, this is how the world operates, this is how, how we are naturally kind of wired up to feel, there are two main ways that people respond to worry. The one, first way is they just determine worry is the only path. Like there's just no other option. I just have to Worry. I guess I'll just worry. I mean, I'll, I'll even, people, you know, you know someone like this. Sometimes people will even lean into worry. Like, I feel really vulnerable. I feel not very powerful. And so now the only thing I can do is worry. And we kind of have this sense that like, and if I worry enough, then maybe I can change the equation. I can worry myself right out of vulnerability. You ever feel this way? I have a, I have, I'll give you, give you an example. I have a good friend of mine who's scared of flying. And she sent me a cartoon this week that describes her mind when she flies. I think this illustrates this point perfectly. And maybe flying isn't your thing. Maybe it's something else. But we can all relate to this feeling right here. Here it is. It's coming. There it is. I can't sleep on planes. It is very important that I stay awake because I am responsible for holding the plane up with my mind. I must remain vigilant at all times. If I stop paying attention for even just a second, the plane will fall out of the sky. Headphones must be removed in the event of turbulence to aid in concentration. I don't take my shoes off. This implies a certain level of relaxation that is, as far as I'm concerned, just tempting fate. <laughs> See, some, some of us think that we need to worry. And to say it out loud seems kind of ridiculous, but it is honestly how we feel. Worrying is our only option. This is why Jesus says, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Oh, just stop, stop. Can, is it even helping? Is it affecting anything? Actually, the Greek in this little statement here is really fun. It actually says in the Greek, if you read it, you can check it out this week. Can any one of you by worrying add a single cubit to your height? That's how it really reads. Like, you know, you've all, some of you really wanted to be tall. Never had this issue. But some of you really wanted to be tall. And you're like, Lord, grow me. Like, you're hanging from the thing. You're doing everything you can. Like, I'm really worried that I'm not going to be tall. Actually, I was worried that I wasn't going to be tall when I was a kid. That's a whole other story, and it's kind of funny. But anyway... Can any one of you by worry, you can't, worry's not going to affect it. It's not going to change the situation. 
It's not the solution Jesus is saying. There's a better way. But that's solution number one. I guess I'll just have to worry. Here's the second way we try to combat this equation. I will work my way out of worry. In our passage today, Jesus talks about these birds. And these birds were largely considered by the Jews to be some of the hardest working animals they knew. You see, these are desert birds. These are birds that lived in Palestine. And they had to work to survive. They were constantly on the move, constantly searching and gathering and building and hunting. They were always being productive. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying, some of you are tempted to do your life like these birds. You're tempted to just like buckle down and work and work and work so hard. Why? Because you are trying to create security. You're trying to create rest for yourself. In other words, sometimes we are fooled into thinking that the solution is, if I can just, by my own strength and willpower, decrease my vulnerability and increase my power, then I'm good. Then I won't have to worry. Friends, you know people like this, don't you? People that always have to be in control. People that are so concerned with, you know, controlling their environment, making sure that they are safe at all times, that they're never vulnerable, that they always have the power. They're working hard in their own strength to decrease the worry quotient in their life. All of us as Americans are good at this on some level. right? We feel financially vulnerable, and so... We work hard to put loads of money in the banks so that we don't have to feel vulnerable so that we can feel powerful in this area. We are, we are worried of what people think of us. We're worried of how, about how we look. And so we rock that fad diet to lose lots of weight and we shop for just the right clothes and we spend time laying out in the sun to get the perfect tan. That we, I mean, we are eating so, so healthy. Our blender just sits on the counter. It never even goes back in the cupboard. We are just, we're juicing it every day. And we tell ourselves, I'm just being healthy. That here's the truth. For most of us, man, I am so desperately trying to control how I look so that I don't have to be vulnerable, right? So that I don't have to worry. I don't want to worry about what other people think. So I'm trying to be in control. People do this in their jobs. I don't want to worry about my job. And so I work hours and hours and hours and hours in an attempt to just get to increase power and to decrease vulnerability so that I can feel safe. So I don't have to worry. And here's the challenge, especially like in Cedar Mill, Oregon, in this community where we live, most people in this room are really good at doing that. You're good. Oh, you're really good at decreasing vulnerability and increasing power. You can do it, at least for a little while. At least for a little while. You'll, you might even sit in this sermon and think, I'm not that worried. I must be pretty spiritual. <laughs> I wish other people in this room could trust God the way I do. When the reality is you've just worked, worked, worked really hard to make sure that you don't feel vulnerable and that you feel powerful. And friends, here's the truth. It's an illusion. It's just a mirage. In your life, at some point in this world, you will find yourself with high V and low P. It sounds like a drug commercial, doesn't it? And I have this pill. You know, you might experience diarrhea, vomiting, and shortness of breath, but 
Friends, you, you, this is a fallen, broken world, and all of us are on the fast track, or at least the slow track, or on some track towards high, high, high vulnerability and little to no power. It is coming for you and me. You can work for a long time, and friends, at some point, your own best efforts will fail you. And here's the good news. We aren't just left with option one and option two. Jesus tells us in our passage today that there is a a third factor available in the worry equation. I'm calling it the GCP. God's caring provision. This is God's providence, right? The fact that he cares for us and he's in control. Jesus talks about these birds, how they're working tirelessly to, you know, in this difficult climate to survive. And notice what he says. He says, your heavenly father feeds them. Sure, they're working hard, but it's not that that gives them security. It's not that that frees them from having to worry. It's the fact that God is looking out for them. He's providing. Jesus tells the story of these flowers. In the Middle East, what would happen is, because this is, again, just a, high, like I said, a desert climate, very dry Rains would come occasionally. It would rain and the hillsides would just bloom. And these little teeny purple flowers would just pop up all over the hillsides. It was beautiful for about one day. Because then the heat would come back, the flowers would wither and die, sometimes within hours of blooming. And the people of these little towns in Galilee would gather these flowers in bundles and they would use bundles of these little dried flowers as kindling for their ovens. This is what Jesus says. They're going to be thrown into the fire and burned up tomorrow. They look beautiful today. Jesus is saying, think about it. If God cares about and provides for these little birds and these tiny flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, don't you think he's going to provide for you? Don't you think he cares about you if he cares about them? Listen to these words. They may be the most profound words of the entire passage. Are you not much more valuable than they? Do you know how valuable you are to God? Do you know how much he cares about you? See, Jesus isn't denying that this world is a hard place to live. He's not saying, don't feel vulnerable. Nothing bad will happen. If you trust me, everything will always go smoothly. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, actually, he says, for his followers, things are going to go bad. He's pretty honest about that, right? But he says, there's another factor in this equation. The GCP, vulnerability minus power equals worry, plus, plus GCP. We do not have to avoid vulnerability and seek power at all cost. And we aren't left to simply worry when things go wrong. As followers of Jesus, we can trust that even when vulnerability is high and power is low, even when, from this world's perspective, there is a whole lot to worry about, God cares about us and he is in control. Notice verse 31 and 2. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Friends, the pagans in in Jesus' day didn't worship the one true God. Like the the, the non-Jewish people that Jesus is speaking about here, the people that lived all around, they had multiple gods, a whole ton of deities in their lives. And these were not like selfless deities 
The gods of the pagans did not care about them. They didn't think they even really wanted to care for them. This is why Jesus, when he talks about prayer, he says, hey, when you pray to God, don't go on and on and on and on like the pagans do when they pray. You know why the pagans are going on and on? They're trying to convince their gods to care about them. They're trying to flatter them and shower them with all these compliments. Oh God, you're so handsome and good and awesome and wonderful. Could you just throw me a bone, please, please, please? Jesus says, you don't have to do that with God. You don't have to convince him to care about you. He's a, he is your heavenly father. It's in his very nature to care about you. Friends, you can have rest when V is high and P is low because of the providential caring control of your father. That's providence. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Do you have the GCP in your life? Here's our last P today. Priority. Purpose, providence, priority. Some of you are here today and you're thinking, that sounds great, Pastor Dave, this whole sermon you're preaching, blah, 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 right? I'd love to have this strong sense of God's provision in my life, but I don't. Not in this circumstance, not in this reality that I'm facing. I wish I could feel the way you're talking about, but I do not know how to do it. Jesus tells us here, friends. Listen to verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and then all these other things will take care of themselves. You see, sometimes when we're faced with worry, our first instinct is to try really, really hard. You ever do this? To try really, really hard not to worry. To distract ourselves from worry, right? You're laying in bed at night, you're thinking about that thing, it's just running through your mind, you're just, Whoop, Netflix, that'll help me just forget about it. The problem with that is at about three in the morning, your subconscious mind brings it right back up, doesn't it? And you're like, dink, there it is again. See, Jesus knows that just trying not to think about worrisome things in this world does not work. Jesus knows that instead of trying to make our problems seem smaller, we must focus our attention on realizing God is bigger. This is why we worship every week. This is why coming to this place and gathering is important. This is why we spend time as followers of Jesus in daily prayer. This is why we memorize scripture verses. This is why we read God's word and do devotions on the regular. This is why my wife writes inspirational scripture verses on the chalkboard in our kitchen at home. Not because we're a pastor family and we're so much more spiritual than you. No, because we're just as spiritual as you and we need to be reminded daily that our God is bigger than the problems in our life. We're building the GCP into the equation. God, I just want it in there. I'm gonna focus on it. Friends, this is why I love Mary so much in the Bible. There's a lot of Marys. Like, which Mary? I'm talking about Christmas Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, the lady we only talk about in December, but I'm talking about her today. It's Christmas in July. Here's why I love Mary. Mary's this teenage kid, right? She's not married. She's just engaged. She finds herself pregnant. An angel of the Lord shows up on her doorstep and says, you know, hey, you're pregnant. Surprise. And the child inside of you is divine, is from God. Talk about a recipe for worry. Like, is V not high and P not low? Heck yeah. I mean, Mary is vulnerable. No one has believed in this story, right? Hey, Dad, it's totally fine. An angel came, right? 
Mary's going to be ostracized and ridiculed and disowned and most likely abandoned by her fiancé. This is not a good situation. This is high, high, high V. Mary also has very little power. She has very little control. She does not have many options. She cannot change her circumstances. High V, low P, big worry. This is a lot of stress for Mary, a lot of anxiousness, a lot of sleepless nights ahead for her, right? Now, this isn't actually how the story goes, though, for Mary. Mary doesn't seem to have a lot of sleepless nights. Sure, she has a few concerns at the beginning and a few questions, but for the most part, Mary seems to navigate this very, very stressful situation with confidence and hope and joy and peace and the rest of God deep in her soul. How? How does she do that? I think the key is the very first line in this song that Mary sings in Luke chapter 1. You know, songs are like the place where you express your deepest feelings, like your core convictions. That's why music is so powerful. That's why people who write music, it's like, it's profound. Like you're saying, this is what's really down inside of me. And in Luke chapter 1, right in response to this news that she's pregnant with the Son of God, Mary writes this song. Listen to the very first line of her song. She writes, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Other translations say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul gives a a weightiness to the Lord. In other words, she's saying the biggest, weightiest, most significant factor in the equation of my life right now is not V, it's not P, it's not W, it's G, C, P, God's caring provision. Mary is saying here, this is where I will put my focus. This is where I will spend my time. This is what I will choose to to ponder and think about and dwell on, even in the wee hours of the night, that God is immensely bigger than I can even imagine. Friends, write this down if you're a note taker. If you make a priority of God's providence, in your life he'll bring confidence. If you make a priority of God's providence in your life, he will bring confidence. God's providence equals confidence. But you have to spend time there. You have to fill your mind and heart and life with it. This is why you can't just come to church once a week or once a month for some of you. Whole nother message. And, and think you're just gonna kind of coast it on through. And the whole rest of the month, it's just news channels and internet and difficult meetings at work. No way. The world is getting bigger, bigger, bigger. The problems of this world are getting larger and larger, larger in your mind and heart all the time. You gotta get back to, to scripture and to worship and to prayer and remind your soul, my God is huge. That's what it means to magnify the Lord in your life. Tim Keller tells the story of a man in the 1700s who was told by Queen Elizabeth to go on a voyage to the New World. By the way, that's us, the New World, right? Go to the New World because she says, I need your skills on this voyage to make it successful. And the man gets the news. It should be an honor, but he's honestly, he's stressed out. He's worried about it because he was a small business owner. And so he goes to the queen. His small business was already struggling. He says, queen, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do this for you. But if I go, my business will surely fail. And in response to this, this comment, the queen says to the man, my dear friend, you mind my business and I'll mind your business. You mind my business and I'll mind your business. 
Immediately, all the worry leaves this man. Why? Because now the queen, the monarch of absolute power and wealth, is going to have his back, is going to look out for him. Friends, this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, think less about your problems and more about the one who has promised to help you through them. And if you do, if you do that, if you think more about the one who will help you through your problems, it's not that your difficulties will go away, no. In fact, Jesus promises, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be high V and low P. There's gonna be lots of struggles, especially if you're a follower of Christ. But if you make it a priority to magnify the Lord in your life and to seek first the king and his kingdom, then the worries of this life won't feel so big. They won't have the power to overwhelm you and they will not be able to rob you of the confidence and the stability and the security and the peace-filled, joy-filled life that Jesus longs for you to have in your soul. So this morning, friends, we are going to make it a priority to magnify the Lord. And we're going to do that together through this meal called the Lord's Supper. I'm going to talk more about it in just a minute. But for now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he's Lord and Savior of your life, or if today you're like, I need that GCP, I want that God in my life, then today in this meal, just come and get these elements. Get a little cup here. It has the bread and the, and the, and the juice. We're going we're to receive it together as a way of declaring it again. We trust God. We trust Jesus' death and resurrection for us. We're talking a little bit about what that means, but if today you want to reaffirm your faith in God, your trust in the Lord, if you want to magnify God in your life today, come get these elements, take them back to your seat, hold on to them. We're going to receive them together in just a moment. But for now, stand, move to the table as you're dismissed, get your, get your elements.